0: This is the Clonmel
1: Podcast with Mark Whelan. Hiya, it's Mark here and welcome to episode 34 of the Clonmel Podcast for this Friday the 23rd of April. Brought to you by our friends at the Showground Shopping Centre. There are 10 stores currently trading at the Showground Shopping Centre including M&S, Argos Deals and Iceland. With oceans of space to feel safe to shop with no queue in, The Shogun Shopping Centre Clonmel, is a one-stop shop for everything you need during this lockdown. So, how was your week? Lovely weather, wasn't it? And set to be nice over the weekend and I think into the start of next week as well. We love that! Took a walk during the week around St. Patrick's Well, Marlefield Lake and made my way through Marlefield Village and crossed the brand new pedestrian crossing. Good to see it there. Badly needed. Also, nice seeing those new road markings on the main streets in town. Loving Manila Champion signage when you come into Clonmel as well, but not loving the fact that someone decided to spray graffiti all over the gorgeous main guard building. Shame on you if that was you. And sad to hear that Carphone Warehouse are closing their stores right across the country, which includes us in town. That's bad news. So, what's coming up this week on the Clonmel podcast, I hear you ask. Well, I chat to Paul Walsh from Royce7 about music, growing up in town and gigging in Clonmel too. I also talk to Maurice Cagney from Tipperary's Fight for Mental Health. That's coming up in a few moments' time. Hillview Sports Club are holding online bingo. We love a bit of bingo on the podcast. More details coming up. Family Carers Island are holding an online training course. Got details of that on the way. And if you're looking for employment, got some jobs that might just interest you. All this and more, coming up.
0: The Clonmel Podcast.
1: Okay, let's start with this. During the week, I met up with Maurice Cagney from Tipperary's Fight for Mental Health Services. I'm with Maurice Cagney from Tipperary's Fight for Mental Health. Maurice, welcome to the Clonmel Podcast.
2: Thanks very much, Mark,
1: for inviting me. Can I ask you, first of all, why do we need to fight for mental health here in Clonmel and Tipperary? It seems an utter disgrace that we have to do this in the first place.
2: Well, there's a little bit of a, um, bit of a history attached to this. So, um, In 2012, St Michael's here in the town of Clonmel um, was closed down and there was about 40 beds here that were servicing the county of Tipperary. And to date, there is not one acute bed in Tipperary for anybody that has a mental breakdown. If, for example, somebody in Clonmel or in Feather or anywhere in the south of the county has a mental breakdown, they're brought up to South Tip General Hospital. They're assessed there, and if they they feel up there that they need uh, to, um, to be looked after, uh, they are then sent to Kikennie, and they're assessed there in Kikennie. If there's a bed there, they're taken in there. If not... Unfortunately they're sent home with a day to be seen again. In the north of the county, in the Nina area, tireless area, it's the exact same thing. If you if you have a an illness on the night, you're brought to Nina Hospital, again you're assessed and you're brought over to Ennis. There is not one acute bed in the county of Tipperary for anybody that has a mental breakdown tonight in Tipperary.
1: So St so Michael's closed. That's right. Is there any chance that with the whole mental health issues. And let's face it, with the pandemic, there'll be a lot more. It may ever open up again.
2: Well, they tell us that it's not fit for purpose. But since the pandemic came along, they have spent two million on oh, the hospital up there, on yes. the hospital, on the hospital. There's two million investment gone into, into St. Michael's as of now. And we have seen um, photographs of it. And it's like a five star hotel up there. So I'd like to know what they're going to do with it when this pandemic is over. I mean, they spent two million, so why not put twenty beds in there for mental, for mental health?
1: But what's it being used for now then?
2: Well it's, they say it's been used for COVID, for COVID, but before COVID came along, there was people using it for, you know for methadone and for other other illnesses, but in a small capacity. but since we were told from we were told from day one that there was no money, there was same way as was not fit for purpose. But as I said to you, like since the pandemic came along, two million was found out of somewhere, and the hospitals have been done up. And it's, the question we'd like to ask now is what's going to become of that now? What can be done with that? We're asking can 20 beds be put in there for mental health?
1: And what have local councillors got to say about the situation regarding mental health in Clonmel and Tipperary? Well, I think. Are they helping?
2: Well, local councillors are on the. Are, the same as ourselves, they're asking the questions. I mean, to be fair, you know, a lot of the public meetings that we had and the marches that we had, a lot of councils were on it. Um, We addressed the county council here in Tipperary um, not so long ago. And, you know, I feel as though that we're not pulling together, that if we all pull together, if, if everybody was going in the same direction, then no matter what political background you come from, you know, it, this should be the Tipperary jersey, should be on everybody here yeah. to, to achieve what we're trying to achieve here. I mean, we have, we have members of the government, let it be councillors or TDs or senators here in this county. And I, I just feel as though that we should be pushing it together, all of us. You know, all of us should be pushing together to achieve what we're trying to achieve here it is to get acute beds in the, t- in the county of Tipperary for our vulnerable and our sick.
1: I gather you've approached the HSE. What have they got to say?
2: Well, you know, we we we, we approached them, but to be fair about it, like they don't, they haven't really spoken that much to us. But they have spoken spoken to other member, other groups that we're involved with, with like, like Seamus Healy and Matty McGrath, and they've spoken to them. Uh, but as of yet, nothing nothing has materialised. And I go back to the point, do you know, they said Saint Michael's wasn't fit for purpose. They said Saint Michael's the building was falling down. But yet we know that that building, two million was put into it. And we'd like to know what what is going to become of that now. Do you know, what can be done with that building now? Well, it makes perfect sense to go back to the way it was, doesn't it? Well, to me, it does. And to me, like, if, if you spend two million on a building, like, it can't be too far away from being fit for purpose. Mm. Do you know, and we're not saying put 40 beds in it, but what we are saying is, can you not put 10 beds in there or 20 beds in there, let's make a start, Do you know? It's, it's, it's a shame to think that for a population of 166,000 people there's not one acute bed in the county for them I'm if shocked any, to hear that if anybody gets to say well that's a fact mm. you know that's a fact and you know we can you know we can say like you know only for the um, the charity organisations are out there that do fantastic work like the likes saw the like the River Rescue Patrol and uh, tear House on, only for them God knows what the situation would be like so like I'm calling on, on all TDs and, and all councillors here in Tipperary, as I said, to put the Tipperary jersey on you here and let's all move in the one direction. We're only looking for what's right. We're not looking for that, and that's you know, out of the ordinary. We're only looking for to help people here. We, we're not advocating that people should be in hospital. We never have and never will. But what we are saying is that it's the best place for some people is to be in hospital. For them and for their families. But unfortunately in Tipperary we don't have that.
1: What can people do to help people who are listening to this podcast right now and hearing yourself? Can they do anything to help?
2: Well, I would ask anybody who's listening to this broadcast now is to um, if they can contact their local councillor, senator, TD. Emphasise how important it is to have acute beds here in Tipperary, to keep getting on to them. Send emails, send phone calls, send text messages. Uh, we, have, we have stickers, Tipperary Fight for Mental Health stickers we would ask people if you want them, just contact us. Put them on your car, put them on your shop windows, put them on your house windows. I think we have to up the ante here because it's not going to happen by the people start shouting for it. And, you, you know, we can have all the um, all the talking we want and all the, de- the demonstrations that we want, but what we really need now is people power to start saying, look, enough is enough. We need to get beds into Cloma- temporary, into sorry.
1: What I don't understand as well is that the people in authority they must surely have had someone or known someone that has suffered at some stage with mental health. So surely to God, you think they would also get on board and do something about it.
2: Well, you, you imagine they would. And
1: I mean, I gather there's a lot of red tape there.
2: Uh, some of the red tape, if, um, if I was to go through, would be here for the next hour talking about, you know, we asked for just a waiting room above here in Clonmel. A waiting room? Um, a waiting room separate to, to the main waiting room. So if somebody goes up into a hospital with a uh, with a mental health issue and they're 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 emotionally crying and very upset, and the last thing you want them to do be sitting down beside somebody who's in a fight downtown. No, you don't want that. We we want them in a room separate away from them, so as that you know they can relax, chill out, and try and get some help. But even to get that room is a battle. It's absolute battle to get that room. You know, I, I thought that when we had the public meeting in, I think it was 2016, and, uh, you know, there were some horrible, horror stories being told up there. And I said to myself, God, this is going to, this meeting is going to change things. But five years later, nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing. The only thing that's changed, which is probably, for me, is that, you not know, St. Michael's had to been done up. You know, a year ago, it wasn't done up. But yeah. it is now. There is a building there. There is a building there. And I'd like to know, wait, wait, is it fit for purpose? They're saying it's not, but what they put two million into it. So we have. So it's not as if we're asking them to build a, a new hospital somewhere. The it's hospital there. It's there. Mm. Do you know, and there's a hospital in Cashel. It's there. Why can't we just the powers that be, the people that make these decisions, sit down and say, look, no more lives can be lost without the help of acute beds. That we, you know, have the beds there. That's all we're asking for.
1: If people want to get in contact with you. How
2: can well, they do so? Well, they can, they, can, they can contact us through our, our Facebook page on Tipperary Fight for Mental Health and leave a message there and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get back on to them straight away at, at any time. Well, what I'd like to say is, well, just, uh, you know, even though we're fighting for the for a acute page you now, anyone who's listened to this broadcast and they're not feeling in a good spot, they're not feeling, feeling uh, okay, I'd ask them please just to reach out. There's loads of help out there. There's loads of charity organisations, priests, myself, anyone, if they're not feeling good, Pick up the phone. There is people there
1: at the end of the phone to help out. OK. Maurice Cagney from Tipperary's Fight for Mental Health. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks very much. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Maurice. Still to come, I speak to Paul Walsh from Roy 7 about growing up in Clonmel. He's love of music. And, of course, Roy 7 Now, let's talk food. If you like your KFC at the poppy fields, you'll be glad to know they are now doing delivery on Uber Eats. Also, we had the lads from Debunked last week on the Clomber podcast. And the good news is The Bunker Restaurant is now open for takeaway and they are also doing delivery. Check out the full menu on their website, www.thebunkerrestaurant.ie. Fodder by Manella is serving coffee and delicious treats over the weekend from 11am to 4pm and on Saturday, how about this? The weather being so nice, they are doing barbecue fillet steak baps with onion rings and sweet potato fries for €15. That's between 1pm and 3pm tomorrow. Get more information on the Hotel Manella and Leisure Centre Facebook page. Sounds delicious. Now, Carrie's Gift Shop in O'Connell Street, lovely old shop, been in town for many, many years. The hope one day to have somebody from Carrie's on the Clomber podcast. Well, they have lots of communion gifts, jewelry accessories, gloves, etc. in stock for when they reopen. Check out their Facebook page for more details. If you love Guyanese, you'll be glad to know that their store in town will open on next Monday, the 26th of April. Store opening hours are from 9.30am to 5pm. And due to government guidelines, they will not be selling ladies and men's fashions, but all other departments will be open. That's great news. Now, there are LGBT and health South Tipperary support and chat groups available. LGB Adult Support Group, second Wednesday of the month from 7pm to 9pm. Transgender Adult Support Group, last Thursday of the month, 7pm to 9pm. Coffee and chat bi-weekly on Saturday, 11.30am to 12.30pm. And LGBT Parent Support and chat every third Wednesday of the month from 7 to 9pm, if you'd like to pop along, email Jared at clommelcrc.ie. Right, how about some online bingo? Come on, admit it, you love it. Well, Hillview Sports Club are holding their online bingo on Monday night starting the 3rd of May at 8pm sharp. Love this idea. €2,000 jackpot guaranteed on the night, plus the snowball jackpot starting at €500. Euros. Get more details on the Hillview Sports Club Facebook page and good luck to all. Family Carers Island are holding a Caring with Confidence online training course. This would really suit anyone who is a family carer caring for an older person. The free 12-week online course takes place every Thursday from 10.30am to 12.30pm and starts on the 6th of May. More details on the Family Carers Clonmel Facebook page. Got another scam for you to be aware of. Once again, this old chestnut where you'll receive a call from someone pretending to be from the Department of Social Protection saying your PPS number has been compromised. Of course it has. Well, you are then asked to give them your PPS number and bank details. Please don't do this. It's a scam. Is it me or is there a lot of those scams doing the rounds at the moment? I was down at my parents' house in Father Matthew Terrace. Do you have a day? Phone rang, my mum said, well, did you get the phone? So I did. There was a guy on the phone who claimed to be from Amazon. He said there was some sort of issue with ordering and also bank details and that my parents owed him 2,000 euros. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll gladly meet you and give you the money in person, which he declined. So once again, he asked for the bank details. And I, in not so many words, told him what to do. What is going on lately? It's like every second phone call or email is some sort of scam. So please take care and don't hand over any bank details or PPS numbers or nothing to anybody. And remember, your bank will not ring you. They will not ring you looking for your bank details. If you're unsure, if it's one of those parcel scams, just contact the company direct. If it's the bank, you're not sure, contact the bank direct. And if like this one, it's from the Department of Social Protection, contact them first. Just take care of yourselves and be aware. And we hope one day that the scammers will get their comeuppance, don't we? We really do. Now, jobs this week. Supermax out the Powerstown Road are looking for full-time flexible staff. All you have to do is drop your CV into the store while ordering something nice or check out supermax.ie forward slash jobs forward slash restaurant hyphen staff. The Vodafone store in town is also hiring. Send your CV to recruitment at phonestore.ie. That's recruitment at phonestore.ie. The Junction Cafe in Parnell Street are also hiring, full or part-time positions available. You can drop in your cover letter and CV to the cafe or email it to junctioncafe18 at gmail.com. DV8 in town are looking for a part-time sales assistant, must be able to work midweek and weekends, email your CV to clommel at DV8fashion.com, that's clommel at DV8fashion.com and closing date is May the 4th. Aldi supermarket in town are looking for a store assistant, it's a permanent position paying €12.30 an hour, go to ie.indeed.com for more details there. And Hotel Manila are looking to recruit staff from restaurant to bar staff to reception. For more details, go to ie.indeed.com. Ah, right. Time to sit back with a cup of tea and a chocolate digestive as it's time for this week's interview, where I caught up with Clonmel's Paul Walsh from the band Roy Seven.
0: The Clonmel podcast.
1: Wow, what about that? Save Your Tears, We Should Be Lovers mashup from Roy Seven. It's a pleasure to have, from Clonmel, Paul Walsh from Roy Seven. Mate, welcome to the Clonmel podcast. All
0: right, Mark. Tell Thank us- you for having me on. Oh. You know, I started listening to your podcast only a few
1: weeks ago. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But well, now you're on it. Here. <laughs> so here we go. You can uh, yeah, listen- <laughs> I'm here. That was quick. That <laughs> you was can quick. listen to yourself <laughs> on the podcast. Tell us about that uh, Save Your Tears, We Should Be Lovers mashup, Paul. That is absolutely brilliant. How did that come about?
0: Funny because we noticed that a few people started commenting on our social media accounts that Save Your Tears sounds a little bit like we should be lovers. Hmm. And to be honest, I didn't really pay attention to it, didn't go and bother listening to it. However, more and more people started commenting, and then our manager, um Edison, said, Um, you know, there is this song that does sound a lot like lovers. I'm gonna have some lawyers look into it, how closely how closely it sounds like it. However, in the meantime, why not think about covering it or doing a mashup or something? Because in a way, it's like connecting our past with the radio present. Lovers was a pretty decent radio hit at the time and "Savior Tears is a, a pretty decent radio hit now so it might be a nice way for us to open the door back to radio play for the band for our original music that's next to come. So we thought maybe this is a nice conduit to bridge the gap between the past and the present and uh, And then we, we went ahead to do it and it was pretty straightforward to be honest. Once we put the music down uh, it was easy to sing We Should Be Lovers over it. A little bit too easy actually. It's just a bit slower. "Savior Tears is a bit slower than We Should Be Lovers. <laughs>
1: it really <laughs> It really yeah. is a good tune and available to get now on iTunes and other platforms like that. Am I right?
0: Yeah, yeah. We, the, uh, the the cover, we did a straight cover of it, which we put out. Um, mm. We can't actually release the mashup because that would be an original release. Yeah. And we'd, we'd have to run it by the weekend first. Otherwise, we're kind of stealing as copyright. But anybody can do a cover of a song, you know. However, depending on how radio reacts to the mashup, we might well ask their management if we can just release it. We'll
1: see how it goes. Now, Roy Seven, um, you disbanded back in, what was it, 2014? After yeah, 14, oh, Yeah, good, good success with the band as well. Can I ask why you split up? What what happened there? Uh,
0: There's probably a few reasons. I think um, we'd been together around ten years in that lineup. Um, we'd had our ups and downs in terms of we'd been with Universal Music, Warner Music, uh, Sony ATV Publishing. Um, we'd had a lot of promoters. We'd management to Germany, management in Ireland, record label in London, record label in Germany. We'd a lot of things going on, and I think after a really busy 2009 to 20. 12, 2013, I think we were, we were knackered and um, not of each other, actually, we we're just generally tired. And it so happened that some of our contracts were coming to an end around that point in 2014. Um, and that wasn't a bad thing, actually, that was kind of a good thing, because some of the original deals we signed weren't necessarily the best deals in the world. Right. So it gave us a chance to re- maybe renegotiate. But it also happened that one of the lads in the band I think he um he, he had just reached a point where he'd had a kid and his girlfriend was living overseas. And I yeah. think he needed time out. And he kind of decided that for him, he wanted to step back for a bit. And in my mind, he was the guy who actually started the band. So I think when he said that, we all kind of looked at each other and went, well, we've always been in this together. Are we going to like maybe call it a day together as well, rather than continuing on without a family member? Because that's actually what it felt like. So I think it was just, I remember the meeting very well. We met up in his apartment. We just had a chat about it. And we decided, you know what? Maybe this is the time, and that was it. And funnily enough, that happened to be the 31st of March 2014. Of course, the next day is Fool's Day. And
2: we <laughs> announced
0: it. That people yeah. were like, nah. It's not true.
1: It's a wind nah. up.
0: God, we're absolute <laughs> morons. Yeah. So we probably could have chosen our timing a little bit better. But the good, I suppose, the good news is that you hear a lot of stories about bands breaking up and yeah. there's animosity. There was genu- gen- genuinely none of that. It was really just a case of very matter of fact, kind of practical kind of talk. Um, and we needed a bit of a break. And I think that was right for us at the time. And so that's, that's what happened.
1: And you're back now, which is great. You've reformed. New music, I gather, on the way as well. We can't wait for this. Thanks. Yeah, We've we've written quite a,
0: a few songs. We're just waiting for the right moment for the simple reason that it's not like we, we could have a, maybe a song on radio and then go and gig it. We can't gig it at the moment. Yeah. So we have to choose the right time to, to make an original release and and hopefully coordinate that with some sort of tour schedule or a gigging schedule maybe for later in the year or early next year. So maybe in the summer we'll come out with a song and, and hope that radio um, embraces it as much as it did We Should Be Lovers and a few of our other songs back oh, in the day. Wow. But I'm glad to be back because... Um, to be honest, part of the motivation was just camaraderie. I think if if, if you ask me what I missed the most, it was just the lads. You know, it was being close to a bunch of lads who uh, knew you better than anybody, or as much as your family would know you. And you miss just the banter of that, um, and that's all we wanted back. You know, I don't think any of us believe that it will get to the same point that we had the first time around, and that's okay. That doesn't matter at all. I think if I could gig a few times a year and still write songs and sing, that would actually be enough for me.
1: And the original lineup, Paul as well, yeah. No, actually, it's not Um,
0: (laughs) because (laughs) damn you. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we look when we were having the conversation, but three or four of us having a conversation about it at Mm. at a party three years ago. This wasn't a COVID idea. This was three years ago. It all started. And um, we put it out then to everybody else in the band and two of the lads who unfortunately happened to be our two guitar players both said, you know what, we're in a different place now. We've moved on, we've got new careers, we've got extra kids in our family, We've, you know, time, times have changed, we're, we're doing other things, it just isn't the right time for us. And, we, you know, we love you guys, but we don't necessarily want to be part of this particular uh, incarnation of the band. Um, and so we kind of looked at each other then and said, right, will we bother now or what, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think we just, our, our manager, Edison, who also manages um, Gavin James, um, he, he said, look... Uh, <laughs> Why not start writing some songs just as as the four piece that's left? We'll put some songs together, see how it goes. There's no pressure. There's no label breathing down your neck. There's no publishing company breathing down your neck or promoter. Just enjoy it. Just go into the studio and enjoy it. We did that. We we turned turned out some songs. He really likes them. We really liked them. We thought flip it you know let's just see what happens so you're right we're, we're down two men but in fairness we were always too big as a band anyway we had six people in the band it was it was way too bloody big so maybe it's a, maybe it's a blessing
1: you mentioned you mentioned we should be lovers here i mean back in 2011 that was the most played irish song on the radio here and just between me and you now all right did you mm, ever think to yourself do you know what i'm getting a bit sick of hearing this song on the radio did it ever come into your head
0: uh I I, only, I think I only heard it on the radio about three times over the course of that year. I just wasn't, I wasn't tuning in. I wasn't yeah. listening necessarily to the radio, you know? I mean, yes, in the car, I mean, maybe it's an awful admission, but I'm more of a talk radio fan.
2: Yeah, I'm more yeah. likely
0: to be listening to Radio 1 or News Talk or something like that. And and I wouldn't, I'd be, even though I love the other stations and i have good rapport with people who work there, and I worked for RTE for a long time, but I still feel that I, I enjoy kind of talk radio a bit more. I don't necessarily like having music dictated to me. I'd rather put on my own playlist on, Spotify or something you know what I mean yeah. so I wasn't really listening to music uh, on the radio then and so although other people were saying to me you're on the radio again and again uh, I, I wasn't picking up on it as much occasionally I was in the garage getting petrol or something I'd hear the song and that was a real buzz but yeah. I, I don't think I heard it as much as other people did
1: <laughs> I'd like to ask you that as well what was it like the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio so you, you just kind of released a couple of songs maybe your first single you heard it being played on the radio where were you can you remember and how did that actually feel
0: Well, actually, if you think about it, I started off in music in in a Clonmel band called Swerve. Mm. And we would have had like Tip FM playing us and we were in there with um, Matt Dempsey and Niall Power at different points over the course of our our kind of early band career. And and we would have heard the the music on the radio then. So I think that probably would have been my first occasion of hearing something uh, on the radio that belonged to us and having that sense of, you know, oh, my God, it's doable. You know, you can you can go from a shed to being on the radio. Uh, with a few steps in between, but you can you can make that happen. So I think when I think back to it, it's not "We Should Be Lovers" that resonates with me yeah. as that first experience. It's probably the early stuff from from Swerve from that band. It must have felt um, good I was though. A teenager with, the, with the... yeah, I feel, it, of course it feels good. But you know what it is? I remember hearing um, was it Zidane, or one of those footballers talking about. Um, Uh, winning the Champions League but the World Cup was coming up that year and he was never in the moment of saying yay I won the Champions League success you know he never enjoyed the success of that moment because on his mind it was what's next what's the bigger adventure ahead what's the bigger challenge ahead and I think you're always kind of looking ahead to the next thing right we've got Tip FM playing us that's amazing now we need the Nationals playing us and now we need so there's always this kind of stepping stone to something else because I feel like if you stop if you kind of go, oh, I'm, I'm good now, I'm happy with this, well, then where do you go after that, you know? So I don't know if I fully sat there and immersed myself in the enjoyment of the moment. I think I, I definitely w- was delighted and grateful that people were playing us, but I think I, was o- I also had one eye on what's next.
1: And did Swerve do live gigs around Claude all. Jesus, yeah, we did. Sorry, yes, we did.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did, yeah. We <laughs> Where'd haven't... you play? Oh, yeah. You know what? Like, yeah, it was a hotbed. It, at, at the time, there was a hotbed of music, talent and interest. Um, Around Clomel at the time Like it was really A really really active music scene You had the East Lane Gallery On Mitchell Street Upstairs used to be Coffee shop there That's right And upstairs That was my first ever gig Was up there um, and then Magnus was doing gigs.
1: Oh, Magnus, great place. We played at Magnus.
0: We used to rehearse in Magnus on Saturday mornings. No way. And then we played in Magnus whenever there were gigs. Yeah. So that, that we, we, we played quite a lot. And then we did different competitions in Thurless and Nina. We do Battle of the Bands competitions and stuff like that around the county as much as we could. We played in Watford a few times. So yeah, we, we played quite a lot. You know, I was gigging from 14 or something, or 15 anyway.
1: And what was your first gig like? Were you very nervous? You're thinking about, here we go. Was there many people there? Can you remember?
0: Um, yes, I can remember. I, re- I was in the East Lane Gallery on Mitchell Street, and the the band previously had a different singer, but they recruited me because she went off to Irish College for the summer, and they asked me to step in. And I remember going there for the sound check, and then I went home briefly because. I have this thing about like if if I'm in a venue from sound check to performance I tend to I absorb the mood of the, the the venue and I feel like if I need if I'm going to perform I have to be bringing in my own my own mood and my own tone yeah. and if I stay there too long I'll assimilate into whatever's happening in that in that space and time so I'm not bringing anything different to the audience so I always feel like I sound check I go home. I have a shower, I kind of refresh, and then I bring my own energy back into the room. Do you know what I mean? I know that might sound ridiculous, but I did this on my very first gig and I left (laughs) and they all panicked and thought that I'd gone and I I freaked out and I was too scared and I wasn't going to turn up for the gig. So all of a sudden they're down at my house and they're knocking at the door. like, what's going on, man? You've got a gig in half an hour. I was like steady on, I'm just getting a sandwich, you know, relax, <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, I, I was nervous, but um, I was nervous, but I enjoyed it at the same time, it is like a drug, you know, you get addicted to the idea of performing, and uh, and to be, if I'm being very frank with you, there's very few things that I can do averagely well, I'm not sporty, I'm not an all-rounder in that sense, right. and so I think realising as a teenager that it at least I could belt out a few tunes was kind of a relief to me that I had something going for me, you know. And and I think when I realised I could get on stage and do it, then um, I was happy to keep doing it.
1: And how long did the band last Swerve?
0: Until Until I moved to London. I moved to London after the high school um, when I was 18. I moved to London. We kept it going for a while, and then there were various different incarnations. And uh, I came back to record and do a few things like at, at the holidays and Christmas and that kind of stuff. But it was hard to maintain. It's like a long distance relationship. It's it's not always practical. So
1: are you still in contact um, with the guys from Swerve? Sure.
0: Well, yeah, I am. Yeah, and the funny thing is with the bass player in in Swerve, Andrew Kennedy. Um, Andrew was one of the founding members of Roy Seven. Uh, so he got me into Roy Seven. Right. He's the one who wrote to me in London and said, "I'm in a band. Come back and join us." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." so i came back to ireland i joined the band and then we changed names after a few years but we were called joe for a while and then we changed from joe to roy seven so he got me in so the connection was very real and 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 very important integral really to me ever being in roy seven you know that clonmel connection
1: and did you enjoy it with roy seven did you enjoy doing the the gigs around the world i know germany was a few of the places you you just played as well you know and a lot of support the kaiser chiefs even supported duran duran
0: yeah, that was in the three arena and the, yeah, the Kaiser Chiefs, One Republic. We went on tour with One Republic. Our first tour was with Brian Adams around Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Um, so we had some amazing experiences. We did Rock and Ring, Rock and Park. Um, we did Montreal Jazz Festival, um, Oxygen, obviously. We never, we didn't do the UK as much because we signed our deal to, to Germany, to Berlin. And so we played a lot of Europe, Italy, Czech Republic, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, um, went to, to other Asian countries as well. But we, we never kind of made it as far as uh, as America or Japan or anywhere like that.
1: Did you get to um, meet
0: but, Brian enjoy, Yeah, of course. But yeah. You know what? I, yeah. I was saying I had an interview the other day and I was talking about this and I said there, there could not have been a better person to meet at the start of your career because here was somebody who has accomplished so much was uh, is, is such a kind of figurehead for music in terms of his the songs that he's created and written and the hits that he's had right he could not have been nicer and I learned very quickly then that actually uh, the people who are at the top are the nice people and that sometimes it's us who are grappling to get to the top who can be less than nice and it was a really great learning curve for, for me to learn that I don't have to be difficult or I don't have to be you know a diva I can you can still be yourself you can still be a decent person get your job done because it's only a job and be nice to people and actually he came back to us after every single support gig Uh, every single night he came into our dressing room and said thank you great work and at the end of the tour he invited us to come to Scandinavia with him to continue the tour because he liked us. Nice. He kicked off the previous band that was supporting him. Yeah, and uh, and we were we were brought in brought on board, but uh, our record company said no because they had no oh, plans to release us in Scandinavia. No and that tour cost fifteen thousand euros to us. No, in way. other words, for the hotels, uh, travel, uh, backline hire, all that kind of stuff. It was fifteen grand in ten days. So they they just weren't willing to stump up another 15, 20 grand if we weren't if we weren't going to release in Scandinavia at the time, which wasn't the plan. I'm really glad to have had our first tour with Brian Adams because he was uh, the perfect role model for how somebody should behave in the music industry. You know, we hear loads of stories come back to the 60s or 70s about divas and televisions yeah. going out windows and people <laughs> wanting blue m or whatever or yes, whatever. And the reality is,
2: yeah, <laughs> the writers.
0: Yeah, And the reality is that's all crap. You know, people, people want to work with others who treat them with respect and are decent and are nice and, and friendly and helpful and who are... are are generous to a fault do you know what I mean so I think that was a really great learning curve for all of us and it kind of set us on our path to just thinking right let's focus on our own job and treat everybody with respect and it doesn't matter what they're doing as long as you know as long as they're with us well then they're our friends you know that kind of way
1: so I gather then Roy Seven had no riders
0: (laughs) we did but it was the most (laughs) pathetic one you've ever heard of it's like We'd like we'd like tea and milk and some Cut fruit and some towels, please, because we sweat <laughs> profusely on stage. So <laughs> yeah. No, the, no, it's funny because word word got out that I, I only drink Southern Comfort. I don't I don't really drink anything else if I drink at all, and I don't drink much. I don't right. drink Southern Comfort. And so when we were doing like summer tours. Um, we do uh, whatever festivals or local festivals or whatever um, they'd, they'd always add Southern Comfort to the rider or, or maybe our manager asked <laughs> them to do that so by the end of a given summer man I would have like 14 15 16 bottles of Southern Comfort just hanging around in the house <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous and I'm sure I still have some of them because I definitely didn't get through them oh, um, wow. but that was quite an interesting little rider edition
1: <laughs> now tell us about yourself as well you grew up in town where about you, did you grow up
0: I grew up between uh, Gertmalogue and Parnell Street. My parents were separated, so I kind of worked between both homes and uh, uh, then went to the high school, went to St. Peter's and Paul's and then the high school.
1: How were your days at school? Did you enjoy school? Was it like, oh, I can't wait to leave? I don't
0: know. No, actually, I I don't know if this is a very sad admission, but I think they were possibly some of the happiest days of my life. You know, I I wasn't great in school, um, but I laughed a lot in school. I remember laughing a hell of a lot in school. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I've been back to St. Peter's and Paul's since uh, when the band was kind of going. And uh, I've been back to the high school as well, actually. Sorry, the whole band went to the high school as well a few years back. And no, I really enjoyed it. And it's funny because after Roy Seven, I went back to college and did a master's in education. Hmm. And now I'm a teacher. So that's my day job now. <laughs> I'm an assistant principal in the secondary school. so, um, And I think part of the reason for that is because I did have such a, a pleasant experience in school and I enjoyed it so much that uh, I, it was somewhere that I was happy to kind of rest my hat, if you like, and uh, I'm glad doing that now.
1: And who were some of your teachers back then? Can you name some of them?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, Mr Shanahan, I believe, has uh, is, is left the high school recently. Mr Power, uh, of course, Mr Shea Bannon was there as the principal at the time. Um, Michael O'Donoghue, who I would know also from St Mary's Choral Society, he would have been my English teacher and geography teacher, I think, for a while as well. Um, so there, yeah... They're the ones that kind of jump out. I apologise to any who are listening who I didn't name check, but I, I have no kind of negative recollections of, of any of them. Really, you know, I think they're all they're all really decent people who I was um, happy to kind of be in the class with. Um, but I think people like Michael Michael who were kind of instrumental because of that music link as well and the drama link because I spent time in the in St. Mary's Choral Society and I heard your podcast about uh ah, yes. White and Warrior Theater and St. Mary's um, Choral Society, which was really interesting and I was delighted to uh to listen into that. But it gave me memories of kind of being on stage there and, and what an amazing theatre it is too.
1: It is amazing theater and we know that they have the raffle going on right now, uh, with funds going to I know, save. there's only a few tickets left. There did is to buy one? I did <laughs> I did get Ooh, one. I should buy one. You should buy. I think there's only about ten left, Paul. To be quite honest, but you know I'll what? Email. I saw
0: the email address on the Instagram post. Yeah. So <laughs> me <a> quick line. <laughs> get on
1: to Dermot Vaughan or Michelle Smith. They'll sort you out. No problem at all. Yeah, but it's yeah. a fabulous it's a nice old theatre, isn't it? It's gorgeous.
0: It has so much character and personality. Um, it's an incredible stage, and it's funny. I remember you talking about Charlie the Ghost.
1: Did you Did you see him?
0: And uh, I didn't. However, we we had we used to do these. Uh, what was the name we put on? Like 24-hour sing-alongs, like marathon singing sessions for 24 Mm. hours to raise money for the theatre. And I remember a friend of mine at the time, we were part of obviously the kind of the equivalent of Glee Club gang back then. And uh, Valerie, her name is Valerie Renahan. And Valerie, definitely one of those nights that we did 24-hour sing-along, she definitely said she saw something right up there in that corner that Jermud was talking to you about during the podcast. And she described a very similar figure. And of course, like chat was rife you know all the the, myth, the urban myths about Charlie and stuff. I'd never seen him, but but for sure, Valerie, my friend, uh, said she saw him one of those nights.
1: Did you see so, the well uh, in the? Did you see the well in the did dressing I see? room? There's a well in the men's changing area. No, yeah.
0: When you were describing that with Dermot, I could picture it because obviously <laughs> that's the place where you put your clothes when you're getting changed. Well, that's yes. the men's changing room. You dump your clothes there. I did not know there was a well. That's incredible. Well, incredible.
1: We, we do hope to have a Halloween podcast, record a podcast, and with any luck, get a medium in uh, one night and record it for the podcast. So that's something to look forward to.
0: Rather, rather you than me. You
1: than me. <laughs> well, here's a great, here's a here's a great idea. You know, when when Roy Seven can do live gigs, maybe they do an intimate gig at the White Memorial Theatre uh, to to raise funds. Wouldn't that be a great idea?
0: You know what? That has crossed my mind before. I think it'd be a lovely setting for like an acoustic kind of setup. Yeah, you couldn't. I wouldn't do full electric because the roof mm. would come off. But I I think a nice. Acoustic setup would be lovely, really, really nice. And I was saying, we did something really recently. You advertised it actually. Mm. Um, you know, Paddy O'Mahony's oh, uh, music store. Moscow um, Music Store, yeah. We did. Yeah, and you were actually, you, you advertised it, and I did two songs uh, that night as well. And I was thinking, Paddy should definitely do something next year when, on St. Patrick's Day when things reopen again. But something like that, where you have where multiple performers, um, would be superb, and it would be lovely to do for the theatre too.
1: Do you know what? There's so much musical talent around, is not it? Especially in Clonmel.
0: Yeah. And there always has been, like I said, when I was growing up, I remember there was a real competitive edge and I really feel that like, because there was so many of us in bands who wanted to succeed, we pushed each other on a bit further. If I'd been in the only band in town, so what motivation do I have to, to improve or be a better singer? I don't have any, whereas there were three or four or five other amazing singers in bands my age at the time. And, um, and, and seeing them and knowing them made me feel like I want to do more and push on and push forward and, and better myself. And, and competition like that at that age is only is only a good thing. It's a positive thing. So I'm grateful to the fact that we had so many interested musical people uh, in Clonmel at the time. And I really hope it's the same. You know, I, I'm not really as in touch with what's going on music wise in the town at the moment but uh i really hope there are as many bands now as there was then
1: and do you come from a musical family as well
0: yeah uh my dad was a musician yeah he was a musician he would have been the kind of the um the show band era he would have played with uh, Dell and earl Gill, and that kind of that kind of ilk and my mum in her youth was a, a ballet dancer uh, in, wow. in, in London. She was trained in London and then moved back to Ireland. So she was a great dancer. So, And a lot of my siblings would have been a Bannaclamala as well. I didn't join because I was being the rebel, you know. I'm too cool for that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I should have because a lot of my friends were from Bannaclamala. And I probably would have... I'd be better musically had I joined it because, I, you know, I never learned to read sheet music. I would have had to learn a Bannaclamella. So it is one of my regrets in childhood that I didn't I didn't join Bannaclamella. A lot of my friends were in it, but um, music certainly was in my family and uh, it is definitely a musical
1: background that I come from. Or oh, taken up ballet, Paul. Well,
0: I could try. I could try, yeah. Um, Followed I, your mother? I think it might be too late for me to do that now. <laughs> so, yeah, just a bit late.
1: You also did a lot of TV presenting over the last couple of years too. Did you enjoy that?
0: yeah i did you know what happened was that uh when you're doing band stuff and you're on tv maybe contributing to something a few producers started to say to me oh will you come back and do this will you come back and judge this show or will you contribute to that show and all of a sudden it started to snowball a bit and then um i was asked to do different i I was an assistant coach on the voice sharon core was living in spain when the when the voice was on and she couldn't be on hand day to day to kind of look after the rehearsals for for her singers so I kind of, I sat beside her on the show and I, I went through the rehearsals with their singers. I did some health shows as well, like Doctor on Call and um, I did a lot of young people shows. Um, so yeah, I did it for a few years. I liked it. I don't know if I was very good at it, but I liked it. You know, there was there was certainly a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure. Um, I felt a lot of stress from it. So maybe it wasn't the right thing for me to do. Um, and I, I don't know if I was very good at it. I think it was, I was okay. I got through it, but I guess the fact that I'm still, I'm not doing it now was probably proof that That wasn't good enough
1: no I think it's a, it's a
0: tough industry you know, to it is
1: it is a tough industry I don't know how TV presenters do it I just freak out in front of a camera that was me so hats off to anyone who is on TV <laughs> right now uh, I work in radio which is great so I'm behind the mic no one can see me it's all good don't put me in front of a yeah, camera it' radio's <laughs>
0: tough too though
1: oh it's not it's, it it it's a tunnel. <laughs> is... no man you're,
0: you're, you're a seasoned professional you're, you're, you're making it sound easy I always feel like those who make it sound easy they're so good it's so difficult to make something sound simple or to do something that looks simple it takes a lot of talent
1: if only so you I knew a lot of respect if, for only you you, if only you knew what went on behind the scenes <laughs> total pandemonium yeah, yeah, yeah. oh listen i got <laughs> i got to ask you. it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast do you, do you have a favorite part of clonmel um
0: what i what i like to do when i come home is i like to drive in from the casual side because you know when you drive in from the casual side and all of a sudden the valley appears before you. Beautiful. Have, have you seen that? Have you seen that in the drive-in? Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. You kind of, you get to take in the whole, and if you haven't been home for a while, mm. you kind of go, Jesus, I totally forgot how beautiful this place is. Mm. If you're living there all the time. You overlook the mountains and the scenery and the view and everything. And then you come back after six months and you're like, this is just such a beautiful landscape it's such a beautiful valley um in, in terms of like when when we got into town you, you know you, you mentioned this earlier on and i thought when we were kids we used to walk in circles like not not the snooker hall but we used to literally walk <laughs> around in circles um just to like spot who was around and who's out and you know on the pool or whatever and what uh, there was you know we just used to walk around in circles 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 around the town so there's no kind of one designated area because the, you know I think we we made the town our own little playground
1: Were you around when the O'Connell Mall was here The O'Connell Mall Yeah
0: Yeah of course that's what I'm saying that, that, that was the our, That was the place yeah, everyone
1: that was it everyone went through the O'Connell <laughs> Mall to see who was around
0: <laughs> exactly
1: and then he kept doing the bloody round
0: he spent all Saturday afternoon walking in bloody circles ridiculous ridiculous hail rain or shine there we were <laughs> listen I have held on to my bell bottoms they're coming back into the fashion
1: they are coming back mate don't forget that um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's lovely talking to you Paul Walsh Roy Seven every success with the band so much, Mark. glad to have you back thanks and thank you. you for joining me on the Clumber Podcast this week
0: Th- thanks for taking an interest take care see ya
1: the Clonmel
0: Podcast.
1: Now, coming next week, it's our brand new Clonmel Podcast feature, where I speak to people from the town who moved away.
2: I came out of college with my degree, my hot degree in my hand, delighted with <laughs> myself, I couldn't get a job for love no money,
0: so I sat around for a year trying to get work, uh, and then we we came to uh, Australia. In it was May two thousand and eleven.
1: True. That's Tommy Fogarty, now living in the Gold Coast in Australia. And that's a bad attempt at a naughty accent. I do apologise. There we have it. Episode 34 of the Clonmel podcast, done and dusted. Until next week, stay safe and look after one another. Enjoy the lovely weather over the weekend as well. If you would like to get in contact, you can email Podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Could be anything at all, advertising a job, saying hello to someone who's far away or here at home in town. Could be a special birthday or anniversary. Let me know. This podcast was brought to you by our friends at the Showgrand Shopping Centre, with Eason's, Macaulay Pharmacy, The Gourmet Butcher, Costa, Hale and Techmac, just some of the 10 stores currently trading, along with M&S, Argos Deals and Iceland. With oceans of space to feel safe to shop with no queue in, the Shogrand Shopping Centre Clonmel is a one-stop shop for everything you need during this lockdown. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
2: You've been listening to the Clumbel
0: podcast with Mark Whelan. Produced by West Town Audio Productions. Your town, your podcast.